The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Ladies and gentlemen, Pelicans fans, welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. And joining me, David Grubb, your host tonight, are frequent contributors to thebirdrights.com and constant guest on The Bird Calls here, the one and only Mr. David Fisher. And I'm also joined by um, other contributor to The Bird Rights, Mr. Carlos Gonzalez. Frequent, si. uh, and our Carlos Bienvenidos. Uh, <laughs> glad to have you here with us. Um, you will find that our bibliotheque is in good condition. And uh, also joining us is our editor-in-chief at TheBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Coso. Ali, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing good, buddy. How about I'm, you? I'm doing well. Not a bad weekend. Um, you know, other than we had to end it kind of with a, a pretty sucky game last night by the Pelicans, but a two-in-one week for the Pelicans is a two-in-one week nonetheless. Um, the Pelicans find themselves now after this two and one week where they beat um, Washington and they get a really impressive win over the Milwaukee Bucks. Drew Holiday comes back and then not so impressive against the Houston Rockets. Pelicans still 14th in the West, three and seven in their last 10, seven and 11 overall, but with another chance to make up ground this week. Charlie, we'll start with you, Senor Gonzalez. Tell us your impressions of the Pelicans two and one week. You got to look at it as a success, I would say. Uh, the the Bucks went alone. Uh, I believe it was Stan said uh, after the game. You know, this the first uh, three quarters uh, of the game from the Bucks game shows exactly how good they can be. Uh, something along those. I'm paraphrasing, uh, but that one really gives you a, a lot of hope. Hope to keep things rolling. I mean, especially mm-hmm. after the absolute bottomless pit that was the Wolves' loss. Um, you know, this feels like a bit of a, a climb out of the depths. And uh, hopefully that's going to keep going. Uh, you know, second out of a back-to-back, losing to the Rockets, who are kind of playing sort of well right now, um, strangely, after the hardened trade and everything. Uh, so I, I think it's overall it's a pretty positive week. Um, the taking care of business against the Wiz, uh, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, someone tell that to the Nets as of tonight. And <laughs> then, you, <laughs> sorry, that's a very hot goss. 
But uh, then, uh, yeah, like I said, the Bucks win. It's it's huge. I think it's huge for morale. It's huge to, uh, to show that you know they can do this. Um, it also helps to kind of elevate the potential trade status of some of our Wobegon guards. Um, unfortunately, the trade status has not been elevated of one Nicola Melli. However, um, that's the last time we'll speak his name. Um, but uh, just don't say it three times into your bathroom no. mirror. No, then he'll just show up and miss a shot. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, That's not fair. He'd pass it up. <laughs> That's fair. You're right. Yes, you're right. He'll shot fake and, and take one dribble and p- kick it off to someone who's not, who's even less open. Yes. Um, yeah, but that's my, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. You know, the, the Buxton was pretty huge for this team right now. Uh, obviously it could just be, you know, flash in the pan. We'll see how they keep going. Um, but also last night we were able to see a few good signs from certain players. Uh, Kyra looking still very interesting. I think, uh, I'm, uh, on the, uh, wanting to join the fish bandwagon for Nikhil Alexander Walker by the day. I really, really like the progression he continues to show despite, you know, some of the flaws that are still there. Uh, and the, the work ethic that he keeps illustrating, uh, these uh, post-game propaganda shoots where he's getting in there and putting up a bunch <laughs> of nice, uh, fl- like, you know, s- staggering a progression of, of standstill shots all the way out to the three-point. I just, it's, you know, it's, it just makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. I, I understand. And you want to see that out of young players. You want to see them working on their games. And Akil certainly has taken advantage of the opportunities he hasn't been perfect but again this is a kid in his second season he's still learning a lot um i think there are some physical limitations to him but overall skill wise you can see the advancement is there Ali, i want to move to you on this we've talked about the number of minutes that the pelicans play well each night against <laughs> against <laughs> we'll start with the first one and, and against the wizards they probably played maybe 12 to 15 minutes that stan van gundy would say were good minutes then you go to the, the, the Milwaukee game, and he said about 30 minutes of good minutes. The Houston game, by the end of the first quarter, there were no more good minutes. Um, that has been the bigger problem for me. Because you can look, we can we could look at the individual stats, and the Pelicans had some really bad defensive stats from this week, but they also played some very good offensive teams overall outside of Washington as a team. But they played against the best individual score in the league right now. Um, but still, we're not seeing defensive consistency out of the Pelicans. We're still seeing problems um, rotation-wise um, and trying to figure out who belongs together. People criticize Stan Van Gundy, but he doesn't really have a ton of options when he goes to the bench. We're not seeing something that you're excited about out of Winnie Gabriel and his paltry uh, minutes. We're not seeing anything you're excited about out of any of these guys that we don't normally see in the ro- regular rotation and just seeing why they're not part of it how hard is it going to be for this team to get more than 30 minutes on a night-to-night basis of consistent basketball as long as the roster is what it is? Maybe impossible. I mean, we've been talking about the bad bench from game one, right? Um, okay, well, maybe they were acceptable in game one because actually one <laughs> J.J. Redick scored 23 points. But you know what I mean? We literally go back to the first week of the season, and it's obvious. The bench is sorely lacking. Jackson Hayes doesn't deserve 20 minutes, let alone, you know, anything on a consistent basis. And that's why I think he's been in and out of the rotation. Um, they, I mean, just look up and down the lineup. Once Stan's going to the reserves, 
Josh Hart, I feel like he he brings his energy and his rebounding, but there's been little else. This new strategy and schemes are not fitting his game as well as Alvin or some kind of faster-paced attack. Um, and, of course, J.J. Redick's slump has now earned him two <laughs> games uh, on the bench. And I'm pretty certain we're probably not going to see him again. So when you look past him, then you strictly are stuck looking at the young guys, right? So fortunately, Nikhil has made some improvement, some strides. Uh, Wenyan finally showed up for the first game. But, I mean, my, my goodness, how long is it going to take for him to adjust? You don't know. Melly, I mean, I hate to bring up his name. Charlie said we're not going to speak about That's twice. Him, him again. Yeah. But, hey, <laughs> look, I mean, it, there, there might not be a bigger disappointing guy. I mean, he, he made a, a big mm. shot in that Milwaukee Bucks game, right? Nailing that three-pointer at the end of the third quarter. But that's it. That's his highlight from the season. Yeah, it rimmed, almost rimmed out, right? It had to roll back in, but still, it was a big shot for the Pelicans because I feel like had they you know, squandered that big old run Milwaukee made at the end of that third quarter, had they not finished that quarter with five points, right? Josh Hart scores, Giannis misses a dunk, and then Melly nails that at the buzzer. I'm guaranteeing you the Bucks win that game, but they were able to hold him off in the fourth quarter. But look, no, they would answer your question. I mean, it's 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 that's why I want JJ Redick to be traded as soon as possible. Maybe they can get bring in a piece now. If, if you're not going to keep Lonzo, go ahead and ship him out. And I desperately want Bledsoe traded. So I, I feel like that's the best hope, right? You're going to need to bring back any kind of serviceable talent back, and hopefully you're going to free up some space because they're sitting what half a million away from the tax line. So if you and we're going to discuss some trades, but if you sure. can dip now and create a little bit more space to sign, you know, just a free agent, pick up somebody. You just want serviceable bodies if you're staying right now. So the Stars do play fine. But once the bench comes in and does their damage, and we've seen it, David, this team is so young that they're tied to their offense. So when things are going well, guess what? Defensively, they're going to give you a pretty good, do a pretty good job. But once the offense flounders, that defense stops working. And a, big, a lot of times it's because of that bench. Him ha- Stan having to dig in there pull in a couple of those guys, and before you know it, there's, you know, a run by the opponent. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're, what, almost 20 games into the season um, that this this is more than just a trend. I feel like this is just going to be a fact of life for New Orleans. So this young team, the only way you're going to help and and probably produce those consistent 48 minutes is just by having better ballplayers. Yeah, you have to stabilize this bench. And, Fish, I want to throw something at you because people kept saying, you know, oh, it's it's just the pace. If you get them moving faster, it's the pace. It's the three-pointers. That's what they need if they if they get those two things up. Well, this week the Pelicans were third in the NBA in pace. and But their defensive rating, 116.2, put them at 24th in the league, worse than where they are normally. They <laughs> this week they gave up more points than they normally give up 119 points a game. Teams shot better than they normally shoot against the Pels from deep 38.7 percent from three, 46.7 overall, all higher than their season averages. The, the only thing the Pelicans did better this week than normal was they were they got back to kind of limping people at the free throw line. And then we talk about the percentage of three point uh points that the Pelicans score from three. And this really leads into the J.J. Redick thing because people always say, well, you got to hold on J.J. because he's one of your few shooters. Well, the Pelicans are one of the worst teams we know in the league. They're 20, I believe they're 26th in the NBA in percentage of points scored from three. Every team beneath them has a better record than them. So it ain't the percentage of points from three. It ain't the pace. It always comes down to that one number, that defense. And the Pelicans don't have 
once they go to the bench, we see it night in and night out. As soon as you have to start mixing and matching defensive rotations with the second unit, everything it throws everything off because there are no more easy baskets in transition. There are the, the defense, the offense goes into a stall pattern. Zion and we, you know, we saw Zach Lowe write about Zion and Jacks together is just a horror show. It you have to do something at this point now to get this bench evened out, or they have no chance of building a solid defensive foundation. I mean, we talked about this even before they played a game. Yes, uh, the the Pelicans clearly had two NBA big men who deserve minutes, and only one of those guys can defend, and that was Stephen Adams. And what that's what we see. And a lot of those lineups, if you look at it and, and you think about the players, you're like, well, I mean, there's there's no chance that that lineup's going to defend. Like, you put – if – I mean, I love Josh Hart, but if Josh Hart is your best defender and he's looking at a back line of either Zion or Nicolo Melli or Jackson Hayes at center and then – Eric Bledsoe, who's just clocking in to get a paycheck and absolutely not. I mean, he's, he's Eric Bledsoe's racking up numbers, but he's not putting forth any kind of effort defensively. Like, like Josh Hart can't be your only like positive defender on the floor. And then you're surprised that your team's just getting nuked. And that's what's, that's what's happening to this team. Um, And I dug into it a little bit. Um, The pace thing. The Pelicans' pace was up. If you look at, like, the Milwaukee game, the pace was up. The pace was up because it was up when Milwaukee went on the big run. On the runs. <laughs> the big – the the pace, the Pelicans when, – when the Pelicans are leading and when the Pel- Pelicans are building these big leads, the pace is not up. They're running at somewhere around, like, a 99 to 101 pace, which is – pretty much what they're averaging on the season, which would put them in the bottom 10 teams in the, in the league. And then you see these opponents go on these massive runs and that's when the turnovers start happening and the pace gets up and the other teams getting easy baskets over and over again. And Pelican players are throwing the ball into the stands or whatever. That's when the pace goes up. And the when the pace is really high and you look at it at the end of the game and you're like, oh, this game was at like 107 pace. And you're like, yeah, but it was at 101 pace when the Pelicans were playing well. And then it was 117 pace when the wheels were coming off and the Pelicans were holding on to your life. So that's, I mean, the idea that the pace is actually unlocking the Pelicans, that's, that's not what's happening. Now, that doesn't mean that you know, the hit ahead passes you're getting from Lonzo and stuff like that aren't wonderful. They are. Um, but those are few and far in between. And when they do occur, they're always the result of getting a stop on defense. And the only way the Pelicans are going to have those, you know, fun transition and easy looks offensively is if they get stops and the stops come first, and most of those stops are happening when Steven Adams is on the floor, and generally the Pelicans are playing slower. So um, I, I think uh, it, it's a lot that people are just looking to confirm their biases on that um, because what the Pelicans really need to do is the thing that you and I and Ollie have been stressing the whole time, just defend and get stops. And, I mean, the Pelicans are going to allow a bunch of three-point shots because they have a whole bunch of wings that aren't very good 
defenders. But the least you can do is try to limit the number of shots that come at the rim and limit them to one possession. That's what the Pelicans can do defensively. And when it's going well, the Pelicans do those things. And when it starts to come off the rails, they stop doing those things. And then on offense, they start turning the ball over. And then once that kind of snowball affects, like we were talking, like you had just mentioned, the offense decides we're going to do more hero ball. We're going to do more pick and roll and everybody's just going to watch. And then the offense gets completely out of sync too. And they stop running the offense. Um, but it all starts for me on the defensive end. And the problem is, especially with Stephen Adams now being day-to-day, I mean, you want to talk about the wheels coming off. I mean, this whole, like, this whole next week, like, let's just say Stephen Adams misses a week. That's going to be a disaster. Who's going to play center? Like, I... Yeah, because you're talking... (laughs) We're talking three games here against Sacramento. Well, four-game week, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Pacers, and the Grizzlies... Sacramento has strong players on the interior. Phoenix has DeAndre Ayton and some other players who can, can – we certainly know what Indiana has in Miles Turner and uh, Donatus Sabonis. And then you go to Memphis, and they've got uh, Jonas Valachunas and other ple- people up front, Jaron Jackson Jr., who can score up front. It's not going to be an easy week if Steven Adams is limited in any way. Should we start crying now? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, no. I think that's obvious. I think everybody knows that. So all I'm doing is holding my hands together <laughs> because, you know, if Jackson Hayes has got to start or Melly, I mean, we're going to liable to get Willie Hernan Gomez for about 20 minutes. And look, I mean, we're going to see some records. Yeah. Well, we've seen some says, play the Pelicans, right? David, how's it go? Play the Pels set a record. And they and two teams did it this past week. Yeah. Because they gave up the most points they'd ever given up in a second quarter on uh, just the other night, uh, uh, you know, against the Houston. That was the worst second quarter in franchise history. And I think they had one of the worst quarters ever against, uh, I think, that with the, the 40-something points they gave with the season. Up until that, the 44 they gave up against Milwaukee in the third quarter the other night. With, I think that was the season record, season mm-hmm. high. Um, so, yeah, back-to-back games, you give up plus 40 quarters. You give up 71.5 to Milwaukee, give up 70 two and a half to Houston, it's not been good. It's not been good. And I think that that, guys, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Charlie, I'll let you respond first. I think that's why you see the Pelicans consistently win first quarters is because the rotation is fine then. The rotation's (laughs) fine. They dominate in first quarters. They're one of the two or three best teams in the league consistently. We saw in all three of these games them get out to incredibly strong starts and then slowly – Particularly the third quarter, I, and, and that is a question, too, because you're sending your starters back out for the third. But the third quarter in particular has been awful for this team. Um, but that drop-off from the first to the second is very noticeable because now that's when you start getting those changes. Charlie, are you seeing that same thing? Oh, it's it's completely obvious. And also we have to uh, mention that the past two games – we haven't even had an an entry from the gentleman who was the subject of this podcast, the JJ Reddick. So, right now, not only is is are they having the struggle, so they've lost one of their guys that you would probably consider to be one of their top eight as far as talent and you know veteran players is not even now is, is gone out of the rotation because of obvious reasons that he's probably going to be dealt. Um, and he's been cracking uh, 20 plus minutes a game. And so now you're interjecting a whole new mix of a rotation. And uh, so there's 
even more elements that are fluctuating and they're the roster is just it seems so like house of cards right right now um and and the perfect example is you guys mentioning adams like if he's gone for a week you know that's a very very conceivable oh and four week if if he have him on even any restriction or missing two games at all um because they're right there's it's it's a it's a black hole of nothingness uh on the bench just in the front court um not to say that Hayes hasn't shown some signs of life which I, I you know I'll feel free to cop to that I think that he's been a little more feisty recently um he's still mostly inept when it comes to most of the facets involved in uh big man defense and, and offense uh just on, as far as awareness goes but he's been trying which is a, a a big a big boost for him so it's just it's where you kind of have to hold on to your seat like you know it's the you you, you see these the, the the subs start coming in and it's like okay here we go again mm-hmm. um it's you're just waiting for it to happen you know it feels like a, an m night Shyamalan movie i'm waiting for the twist you know it's just like mm. uh it, so uh, it's it's painful almost in a way cuz you're just you're just watching you know some success especially recently with uh you know lonzo's back to back pretty good games um uh, and, and you've got Zion's uh, growing and, and learning and adapting despite getting mauled like a bear every other possession. Um, and, and it's just, it's almost disheartening from a fan's perspective, I would say, just because you know, you know it's coming. Um, and uh, you just got to hope that that they are able to find a way to shore up the, the back end of this rotation here soon. Um, whether that's with JJ, whether that's with Bledsoe being dealt. Um, someone uh, needs to come in and be able to stop the bleeding or, and keep the, 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 the enemies at the gates, I guess would be the way. Cause that's what it feels like to me. It feels like the, you're, you're holding a, a, the, the gates of Troy and all of a sudden that you just open them up for the Trojan horse and they're just running down the city. Every, every time we, the, that bench starts checking in. The bare minimum is, just, is that you want the bench to not be a negative. Yeah. That they don't give up leads. And they don't have to increase anything. That's when you get a good team, when your bench is out there increasing leads. But the Pelicans are just such a – when the bench is like, – like you said, it's a they're a fire starter. They walk out and they torch everything in their path. And it doesn't matter even when you have good guys off the bench like a Nikhil or like Cairo who come in and do their jobs. It doesn't matter because the ones who don't defend blow it up for everybody because, like you said, it's, a, it's so fragile. That connection is so fragile between the five of them. It's like a game of Red Rover – with kids who have dipped their hands in Crisco. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, to jump in on that, the Pelicans right now, this season, are the best team in the entire NBA in the first quarter in terms of net rating, plus 18.5. They're 25th in pace. In the second quarter, they are the worst team in the entire NBA with a negative 21 net rating. But they're 13th in pace, so they're playing fast. And I was told that that's, that's, that's working for the Pelicans. So I don't understand it. Now, I'm glad you bring that up, Fish, because that's something that everybody seems to harp on is the third quarter drop-offs. And, yeah, they're terrible there, too. But they're 29th, and they're giving up, or losing that quarter on average by around 3.2 points, if I remember right. For, or second quarters, they're losing by an average over five points. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how bad they've been in second quarter. So 
it feels like that sets the tone. You're a young team. You just get smacked. And, of course, you know, you come out in the third quarters and even the stars by then are affected by the virus going through the locker room. So, yeah, I mean, it's happened. It, it's it's not a fluke. I mean, it's happened yeah, almost I'll, every game. You are totally right as far as, far as infected by the virus because that, that happens. I mean, when you're a starting lineup, you get on the floor, you're playing your tails off, you guys get a, a solid lead or something like that, and it starts to get whittled away by your by the reserves. That takes something out of you, and especially mm-hmm. and it does it. As, as it continues to build, that just increases the frustration. The camaraderie lessons. If you if you don't feel like you can count on the guy standing next to you to keep your work in place, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to matter. It's just going to matter mentally. It's going to matter emotionally to how you're going to play and be prepared and want to come out and fight because you just know that, okay, well, it's just the five of us are going to do our best and, you know, God help us if if we can get Jackson to give us you know six rebounds tonight or or you know he who shall not be named will take a jump shot and it'll go in uh, once this quarter. So it's it's that's that that impacts a team's psyche to, I mean, to the point through. where yeah it's not like yeah. you said it's all through because even when you're on the court you're thinking about we can't mess up yeah and once you start getting into that point it changes how you perform because you do do more. I have to do this now. And it affects the way an Ingram or Zion looks at how they score or what they need to do. The overcompensation of, I have to make sure that we get something on this possession and you're become so laser focused and you miss the other parts. And that's when the ball movement stops Mm -hmm. because guys are saying, I can score on this possession. Me. I don't trust passing out to this guy. I don't trust passing out to that guy. He might not get it back to me. This is, you know, all those things. These are guys who can't throw post passes. These are guys who don't do this. And, yeah, I mean, you end up with this offensive stagnation. And it's so weird because I keep – I've just started doing this recently, but I keep looking at quarterly shot charts. And it just – I've been, I'm, I'm going to have to write on this. But I keep taking pictures of the quarterly shot charts and looking at them myself. And you'll see all of a sudden the shots come from one side of the court when the team gets really bad. All the shots – start coming from one side of the court and it's they completely the abandoned yeah it's, it's the left the, side it's the left side because it's ingram and he's starting to press because he can't trust anybody else <laughs> and they just abandon the offense i mean that's what's happening and i mean between ingram and then zion i mean the the offense is still already very left-hand dominant and what what happens is is that when they they start trying to create their own just for themselves and it's like the offense starts to break down and they stop running those sets where the point guard brings up the ball and there's going to be a ball handoff on the wing and then we're going to swing it and we're going to get the defense moving a little bit and then we get the ball to Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson on one of the wings moving towards the center or in the center of the court moving, you know, towards the basket. Once they get away from that, it's just a whole bunch of dribbling and one guy trying to create a shot. And you can, you can see it. The Pelicans stop. They stop running the offense. They just point blank. They just, they abandon the offense that they ran in the first, first quarter. You don't even see them attempting those plays anymore. They're, they're running something else. They are. They're not. They're not really running anything. And you can still hear Stan Van Gundy. You hear no one is more clear during a broadcast of any coach in the league than Stan Van Gundy begging his players to do stuff on both ends of the floor. Well, the reason, and that leads us to the reason for this this whole um, pot is that earlier this week it started to become concrete 
really firm because reports from the athletic other sources all started to say the Pelicans were focused on moving JJ Redick first and foremost. JJ hasn't played in the last two games. His uh, he's been DNP CD. Um, there's no injury issue there. He kind of you, you had kind of some hemming and hawing about why, like oh, he just got lost in the minutes that we went with the guys. No, it was to protect JJ for trades. Um, and so it seems that the Pelicans, by those reports, are focusing on teams in the Northeast, particularly Philadelphia, Boston, and Brooklyn, for some reason. I don't know why Brooklyn is in that list at all, considering <laughs> they don't seem to have any problem shooting or scoring. And defense is their biggest problem. Um, JJ ain't going to help you there. No. Guys, um, <laughs> let's start with Philadelphia. JJ's, that's where he came from to the Pelicans, left there as a free agent. Um, he's certainly familiar with Doc Rivers, the head coach there. He's familiar with most of that personnel. He's played with a lot of those guys who are still there. Um, Philly is a team that looks like they could be a very interesting challenger, more disciplined this year, uh, maybe in past years. Does Philly have enough? I mean, right now, I think we'd all just say, just give us something. But there's interesting uh, packages on the table from Philly. Uh, Fish, I'll let you go first and, and your thoughts on on making a connection with the 76ers. The most difficult part with Philadelphia is how do you get to the matching salary? Because Philly has a whole bunch of really big contracts. They don't have a whole lot of those like mid-sized contracts that are going to help you get J.J. Redick um, unless, unless they're thinking about Danny Green. Um, and then the Pelicans probably don't want to do a Danny Green for J.J. Redick swap because that'll push them into the luxury tax. And then the other option would be Seth Curry. And I don't think I don't think that the 76ers are going to look at a Seth Curry for J.J. Redick. And it would have to be Seth Curry and then something else. So the hardest part with um, the 76ers is, is a situation where they can't really match the salary very easily. Um, so you're looking at probably something like Mike Scott and, um, I don't know, Terrence Ferguson or something like all of their cheap guys, pretty much. And if you can bundle all of those guys together, then you can find a way to match salary. Um, and then from there, what, what are the Pelicans really getting out of that? Um, and it's really just, we're going to send JJ Redick, um, somewhere where he's going to be close to his family. Um, his family's still living in Brooklyn, um, which is why Brooklyn, I think, is on the list. And then maybe, I don't know, can you get a halfway decent second round pick from Philadelphia? Um, so it, it's hard for me. Like, Philadelphia was probably the hardest one for me in terms of make a trade that makes sense for both sides. Um, the destination makes sense. The Probably the most sense for J.J. Redick. Um either Philadelphia or Boston. It's just a matter of it gets really difficult to make to make the dollars and cents work um with that with that um with trading him to Philly. Ali, um with Philly, they don't they do seem to have a lot of these six six guard forward combo guys, but they do have a couple of bigs that might be interesting too, just to have because you are a team that doesn't have that depth. Would a Tony Bradley, per se, be of any interest to you um, for the Pelicans to say, let's just take a look and see if another center 
could help augment this front line? I mean, I'll be honest, no. I mean, Tony Bradley. What's that? Yeah, I'm just asking. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, Philadelphia, I, I hate, I, I dislike them for a lot of reasons why Fish has already alluded to. But also, if you're just looking at players that you can get back that may be useful for you down the road, I, I just don't honestly see it, who they mm-hmm. would give up. I mean, the number one guy you're circling, if you're anybody uh, that knows that team, is Matisse Steibel. But it's impossible for me to imagine that they will include him in a deal when he looks like he could become one of the top five or ten best defenders in the league on the wing, right? So if he's not on the table, I'm honestly – I'm not interested in Furkan Korkmaz or uh, even Tyrese Max, even though he's great. I feel like that would just be repetitive on this Pelicans roster. Yes. And again, I can't see Max even being on the table for J.J. Redick, right? So when you get past those guys, no. I mean, Mike Scott would have to come back most certainly – because he at least makes kind of some money. But then when you're adding a Tony Bradley or maybe even Vincent Poirier, no, I, I mean, yeah, you attach a second-round pick, but I have a feeling that Griff's either going to want a decent player or, you know, a late first-round pick. He likes first-round picks. We've learned that. I don't think he has much use for second-rounders. So, yeah, Philly is a tough one for me to figure out, even though they w- they could definitely use this. Fish said could definitely use J.J. He's got that great relationship with Joel Embiid where they ran, ran a killer pick-and-roll and Philly right now is in the middle tier of, of the league in terms of shooting the three ball. So, like I said, they could definitely use him. I mean, they don't really get me. Again, they're one of the teams who are worse than the Pelicans in, as far as percentage of points from three-pointers made. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, they, they, again, they're stacked defensively. Um, they just don't have a ton of guys. Yeah, you look at that group. And outside of Seth Curry and Danny Green, who's not shot the ball very well this year um, from three – uh, and and even Tobias Harris, who's looked better recently, but has not shot the ball particularly great. Um, well, actually, this season he's been shooting really well for three. Yeah, he's been shooting pretty good. He's been shooting really well from three. Uh, but outside of Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, they really have not had great three-point shooting, and they never have. J.J. would be um addition there. Charlie, I think, uh, you know, it's easy to slide him in in Boston because of they have the most – you they don't have to take anything back from Boston because they can just absorb them salary wise. Yeah, they can just throw it right into the the. Uh, oh gosh, what's it called? I've just totally blanked. Uh, Trade exception. Uh, thank you, my God. I just had a total <laughs> mental breakdown. Uh, you call me a JJ Reddick because I'm that old, apparently. Um, no, yeah, they can just dump him into the trade exception, and 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 you can technically call it a day. I just wonder because Boston's kind of weird i mean i feel like they could they could both use jj um but also they have a just massive mix of young guys that are like super interesting um in some way or another like uh the, you know their their rookie this year aaron neesmith is, is a guy from vandy he's a flamethrower um i still have to have some hope in romeo langford either even though he's either hurt or never sees the court um because he's a local guy for me um but they also have um uh, what's the new kid Peyton Pritchard who's been showing out recently mm-hmm. um the Oregon mm-hmm. Duck he, he's been playing really really well for them um and so they've already got a kind of nice contingent of young interesting guys in the backcourt um who JJ would obviously eat into those minutes um and it's only for one year so how much are they really willing to give up and does ultimately does JJ like raise their ceiling like i think if i'm boston like i think i would be almost trying to like figure out a way to 
absorb JJ and fig- I, I, I would have to lean on fish for this, but like absorb JJ possibly use him as a stair stepper to maybe acquire a, another player that was more helpful uh, either uh, at, in the big spot or potential as a, like another point guard. Um, they're just, a, 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 it's a clunky fit in my opinion, just because of the way their their youth their and their overall rosters fit. I guess Marcus Smart was the big uh, up in the air for me until they announced today, I believe, that he only has like a calf strain, and right. it's not bad because I was concerned that that was uh, – I don't know if you all saw that injury. It did not look like it was going to be something good. Um, he was, the way he was reaching was very Achilles-esque, and uh, fortunately, thankfully, he is he's okay and, and probably going to be there for, for plenty of the duration. But they're already spending like, you know, uh, I feel like the gross domestic product of uh, Uzbekistan on Kemba Walker. So they're putting JJ on top of that for another 13 million uh, for another guy that's having a rough year shooting it. Um, You have to hope for a lot in that respect. I don't think that that means JJ is not going to turn the corner, but. I would almost if I if I'm them if I was Boston I would rather bet on my young guys and, and trying to keep elevate in the situation. But if they're able to like kind of use him to be a conduit for something else that they mean might need more dearly, that that is where I see Boston being a, a, an option. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom, a performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Football is in full effect and the NBA is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantages of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Hmm. The problem for me for Boston and, and, and Fish, or uh, Ali, I'll let you, um, you respond to this one. I'll, I'll go Fish. Um, the problem for me with Boston is Boston doesn't have anything at the three or the four or the five that I want. So really all I'm getting from Boston is picks. And, and that still means open up minutes for people in my backcourt and getting rid of J.J. does that. But the thing mm-hmm. we've all talked about is you still have to make this bench better. and. Yeah. Boston doesn't really do that my the thing that I would be asking for if I'm calling Boston um, is Robert Williams and yes. to try to try to swing for that um, I, I've seen enough of him defensively um, that I think he 
he's already a better, a substantially better defender um, than Jackson Hayes is. And well, this yeah, might... but do you think they give him up? That's well, what I think. I don't, yeah. Here, here's the thing is, is that this would be a situation where you would send Jackson Hayes out right. and Boston would say, well, we think we can reform him in our system. That's working better. I'm fine and with that. The, um, and then, yeah, obviously we would be. Um, and then the Pelicans get, you know, Robert Williams as, you know, kind of their defensive big man. And he's, he's under a rookie contract for a couple more years. Um, so something like Reddick and Hayes out, and then you take back, I don't know, Robert Williams and Grant Williams or something. Now, the Pelicans probably don't get any picks in that situation. Don't need them. Don't need them. And you get, I mean, Robert Williams is the asset that you get here. And, and a lot of people are going to say, well, that's that's too much because they have such high hopes for Jackson Hayes. Um, if you talk to Celtics fans, they have equally high hopes for Robert Williams. Mm-hmm. And Honestly, if, if you talk to Celtics fans, every single young guy who's still on a rookie contract is potentially the, you know, the next Larry Bird, essentially. Yeah, but still... <laughs> This Robert Williams in 15 minutes a night. This is him this season. Six points, six boards, one and a half blocks in only one and a half personal fouls. And he's shooting 90% from the free throw line, 75% from the floor. I'll he take that. Already be, he would be the leader on the Pelicans in block shots. The Pelicans don't oh, have any easy. shot blockers. Yep. So I, I mean, would take yeah. that. Yeah. That's, like, a cre- that's, that's, that's really creative, Thirst. That's, I like that a lot. Um, but to, I, I do want to talk about what Charlie was saying, which was the stair step method, which is the 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 trade exception is the trade exception. Period for Boston. But if the if Boston trades for a player, they can trade that player out, not use the trade exception now because they're using the player that they had acquired previously, and they can accept up to one hundred twenty five percent. So they would use the 13 million of the trade exception to take JJ Redick, but ultimately at the trade deadline, they could get a player that makes between 15 and 17 million or so. And that's that that's the stair step method that they could use where they could say, hey, one of two options. One, JJ Redick really starts to get hot. And then we think because the thing is about Boston, you think about their lineup, they can hide JJ Redick defensively a lot better than a lot of other teams can. Because I mean they're already starting at such an advantage when you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So and Marcus Smart. Exactly. I mean they they can hide him. Um and in in the situations where they're like, you know, I mean, because Kemba Walker's a, a massive negative defensively as well, but do we really need Kemba Walker's shot creation as much as we could just have J.J. Redick being an absolute, you know, sniper behind the arc to, to you know, make things a little easier depending on the um, – depending on the matchup in the playoffs. So, I mean, it, it would – on my end, looking out to the Celtics, it would make sense. But I think the most likely way to make it happen would be if you say, hey, we'll trade you our young, aspiring big man who happens to also be seven feet tall. And we'll take your big man who isn't seven feet tall, but we think is a better player. Um, but you're also getting J.J. Redick 
JJ Redick in the swap. So, I mean, that's that's the ideal situation from the Pelican side. I can see how a Celtics fan would say, no, there's no way we're doing it. But we have to realize that a lot of times, especially Celtics fans, happen to overvalue their own players. Well, I think that also comes somewhat from their own <laughs> their own uh, GM and their own <laughs> uh, the way they, the way they've <laughs> operated. Like that's that's a byproduct of how their operation works. Um, they 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 just have seemed. To, I mean, what's uh, Ainge is called Trader Danny for a reason, but also it's because he both will not give you fair value until the until like under pain of death, or he's going to overpay for something that's grossly not worth that much. Uh, Justice Winslow for four first round picks will never not make me chuckle, um, but it's that I think that's exactly why those those that sets of fans has that attitude and perception now. Holly, yeah, my, my number one target with Boston is right on with Fish Robin Way, Robert Williams. I've seen him several times this year, and I'm shocked that he's not getting more minutes. I'll be honest with you, um, but hey, they they really like what Daniel. Teesprings, and of course, they uh, signed the vet, right, um, Thompson, so Tristan Thompson. So it's kind of a numbers game for them, but I think they're still really high on him. Um, one other name I would possibly consider, honestly, is a guy that I really liked in a draft, Aaron Nesmith. Um, I don't know if he would even be on the table. Um, just like Fish said, you don't know exactly what or how much they value, per se, the front office. Um, you know, their own players, you've got to think they're pretty high on, but still – you got to think maybe somebody could be available because I personally think Reddick would make for a great fit with Boston. You know, they need somebody that can space the floor for both Tatum and uh, Brown because they've proven to be stars, you know, three level scores, and they just need somebody that can provide gravity. And if you don't think Kemba Walker is going to bounce back or you have fears that that injury is going to, his knees are going to reignite into some kind of condition again, then boy, you've got to find somebody else. So I feel like JJ is a perfect stopgap for them for the rest of this season. And he wouldn't come at a big cost. I mean, how much really do you think that Robert Williams or Aaron Nesmith or maybe one of your future picks is really going to pan out into the next Jalen Brown or something if you're Danny Ainge? So I like it from both sides, honestly. I think that's my favorite amongst the three that are mentioned, Philly, Brooklyn, and Boston, is JJ going to Boston. I mean, Robert Williams, just to jump in, I mean, Robert Williams right now, he's 10th on the Celtics in minutes, and he has Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice in front of him. Right. So, I mean, mean, now, obviously, neither of those guys are. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and neither of those guys are long-term options either. But, I mean, he's third Mm -hmm. in the rotation right now among their, their big men that they have logging minutes at center. So, and, and the thing is, is that Jackson Hayes, if, if, cause I, I don't think you get Robert Williams unless you're sending out Jackson Hayes. And I would prefer the Pelicans to swap um, Robert Williams for Jackson Hayes. And I think Jackson Hayes gives the Celtics a, all of us longer, <laughs> a longer runway. Um, yeah, he does. And he speeds up. I think he speeds up your timetable of getting better. Because it, it takes some of that burden. You know, you know, with Zion, it, it it makes it easier for him mentally. And that's what you should be trying to do right now. Is my my opinion is that if we know the Pelicans are probably not gonna be a playoff team, if that's the, the likelihood, I'm not trying to do anything to make this the game harder for my building blocks. And Robert Williams makes the game easier for Zion. He he's going to make the game easier 
for Steven Adams. He's going to make this game easier for Stan Van Gundy. So I would bring me that kind of player. And if, like I always said with Aaron Nesmith, it's like if you bring him in, he's your Josh Hart insurance too. Because if Josh Hart asks for more money than you want, Aaron Nesmith is the same basic player profile as what you're looking for out of Josh Hart. Disrespecting Hart, man. <laughs> I'm not disrespecting Josh Hart. I'm, what I'm yeah, Nes- is, for me, Nesmith's even a better fit. Isn't that your insurance? Is you're talking about if Josh Hart comes out and asks for we we said every player has a financial limit, Mm -hmm. and the 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 roster minutes going forward, at the two, those those are those reserve two minutes are probably going to Nikhil in the future. That's what we all think, right? I I think we're all we're saying that those reserve two minutes go to Nikhil and Josh Hart at the three. Quite frankly, and and I'm gonna keep saying this: Josh has value, sure, but I think he's at his ceiling. He's not going to get much better physically. He's not going to get much better with his handle. He's not going to get if at all. And I think that at the three, he's always going to be a deficit at the three because he is not athletic. And unless you have premier defenders up front for him, there's a limit. So why would I not look at, at kicking tires on somebody who fits the same physical uh, profile as he does, can do skill-wise similar things to him, may not have the motor. I don't know. I haven't watched. You don't see enough minutes. He's only played nine games this season. But Nesmith could be that guy that, hey, I don't have to go and draft next year and waste a draft pick. I could use that draft pick on somebody that or or to move as part of a trade or to draft a, for a need, a greater need or a greater talent than having to replace a Josh Hart if I lose him in restricted free agency. That's all I'm saying. Well, and one of the biggest Hart uh, bonuses is the fact that he's a you know incredible rebounder for his size, but simultaneously part of the reason that he's an incredible rebounder is because the bench bigs can't you know grab a ball to save their life. Yeah, uh, and the Pelicans I mean, don't have great big rebound. Uh, I mean, like yeah. Brian Williamson is not a great defensive rebounder. Your Brandon Ingram's rebounds are down as of uh, the last month or so. So it's it's you have a lot of reasons that Josh Hart is able, and it's not against Josh Hart. It's not a knock, but. He gets a lot of his rebounds because they're guys who can't get them otherwise. And no, if you I, had a guy like Williams, you could alleviate that with having an actual big that was able to collect those rebounds versus Josh Hart. So that is, I see where your head's at there. No, I see that. I, 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 don't, see, I don't see a scenario where you get Robert Williams and Neesmith. No, you have to I, give up be, more. Yeah, I think it would be an either-or situation. And mm-hmm. looking at what the Pelicans need, the Pelicans need – that the Pelicans need Robert Williams because he, yes. he, 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 he immediately slides in and takes all of, you know, I mean, you're sending Jackson Hayes out hypothetically to get Robert Williams. He's going to take all of Jackson Hayes' minutes. We don't ever have to see Melly play again. Hopefully. You did it. That's the third one. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was him passing up a shot. <laughs> Everyone watch out. Watch out. Okay. All right. We're cool. Okay. So, and, and just to jump off the Celtics now and get to the Brooklyn, why? Like, the Brooklyn just gave 147 <laughs> points, man. Yeah, I what, tweeted what? it out, man. That's the first thought. 100, 149, Fish. Don't, don't, don't cut him short. Yeah. In regulation. Yeah, yeah I don't get it. What, what does he add to them? You have Joe Harris. You have, like, you have nothing but shooting. They have That's four you, 40% plus three-point shooters. So what does Reddick do for you? He gives you nothing. Their problem has nothing to do with shooting the basketball. No. It'd be really? like the he Pelicans being like, hey, back on earth. I mean, it'd be like the Pelicans trading for another 
guard with a struggling shot? Like, wh- what what are we doing here? Why? Frank Jackson. <laughs> Come back, Frank. Oh. Come back, Ian Clark. We, we see you. We need you. Come back. Come back. Let's call all the struggling six foot two, six three guards. Come back, Kenrich Williams. Where are you? And then the other issue with Brooklyn is the fact that like making the money work is really hard on their end because they're deep in the luxury tax and they don't have any. They don't. They can't trade another first round pick. Like the next time they can trade a first round pick is like in two drafts because and they don't have any healthy players you like. (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, what you were you're gonna trade JJ Redick and you try to get like the best one that I could figure out was you trade JJ Redick to the Nets and you get back Dinwiddie and Dinwiddie tells you I'm opting out regardless of if I'm traded or not. So he's just salary ballast at that point and you're not expecting them to play a minute. And then you can get TLC from them to hopefully get you some more minutes on the wing. Um, that's that's really the best case scenario for the Pelicans. And then it's a situation of why would the Brooklyn Nets trade like one of their wing guys that can kind of defend to get JJ Redick? What what are you doing there? Now with Dinwiddie, if you're taking him back, you got to get him to agree that player option. Kind of like what they, uh, Del Demps wanted Miritich to do when he came down from Chicago. So that would be the only reason to do it. Plus, the way I'm thinking is if you if you don't think Lonzo Ball is going to be in your future, if I'm David Griffin, you need some veteran, right, that's going to be um, – can fill in basically a point guard for 30 minutes a night because Kyra, for, for no matter how good he pans out to be, it's not happening overnight, and he's going to have bumps in the road, and you don't know what other pitfalls lie ahead. So I would feel really comfortable if Dinwiddie was, you know, somebody you could rely on for the following season, right? For J.J. Yeah. Redick, maybe throw in a second plus Dinwiddie, I think I would do it. If Dinwiddie, oh. even if Dinwiddie opts in for 20 for next season, he still might not play until January, February of next season. Well, I mean, his is an ACL. It's not an Achilles. An I know, but, but you don't, I mean, you still are talking no. about. Well, you check out the medicals too, Grub, I think, right? But if you're going to make a trade, you can have a look, your doctors. And if you see that, hey, there's probably not going to be anything to worry about, then then that's the scenario I'm looking at. Somebody suggested that on Twitter to me, and I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, you have to have some level of guarantee. Yeah. Like you can't you can't have him in and, 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 yeah, and have him opt out, I'm out of here. You get nothing for me unless you're just trying to shed salary. And in that case, there are other ways to do that. Yeah, but if it's not um, Dinwiddie, then boy, things really drop off a cliff. So I don't know. No, there's nothing there. They don't give you anything that helps you. And if they're not, like you said, if it's not um, Luau, I don't like anybody else on that roster. I mean, even Nicholas Claxton to me is overrated. I'm not a big Nicholas Claxton guy. Me neither. <laughs> And I don't know why they keep trying to give him Kevin Durant's nickname, but okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, for JJ though, it just feels like it's going to be done soon because they don't they don't hold you out this way unless it's unless the plan is to have it done quickly. I would imagine it gets done by the end of this week. They, they have to. They can't keep sitting him, right? It looks like the plan's there. He's missed two games, and, and there's no reason to stick him back in a rotation now. I think. Um, I think the youth movement has started. If JJ's, you know, he's going to be traded at some point. I don't think you put him on the floor, period. Yeah. Fish, you think uh, this week is the week? 
Oh, we might have lost fish. Charlie, what about you? You think this is the week? I think it has to be, uh, especially uh, just with your point, Grub, from earlier. I mean, they've got four games in the week. They, they're they're already struggling with with consistency. If Adams is is any sort of concern, and you want to try and shake things up and get someone in, whether that's by trade or by signing off the scrap heap after the fact, uh, it needs to be done as soon as possible, uh, preferably this week for sure. And this is the best time to do it also because you got four out of five at home. If you're going to trade somebody, do it now while you're at home and you can get some practice time in. You can get some kind of acclimation done um, because you do get that two-day gap, especially between the Memphis and the Houston games. And then you're just flying up to Charlotte. You'd like to be able to integrate that player into your system and know what you, you know, have some kind of – I wouldn't want to wait till you start on another extended road trip with a bunch of back-to-backs again. No, and here's the other thing. There's a team out there that needs them right now, Boston. You know, Marcus Smart's going to be out for up to three weeks. So, you know, you don't want to lose any ground if you're Boston unnecessarily. And so, yeah, I I would chase after him right now. Why wait? Guys, um, as we look to this Pelicans week, I think we've talked about it. Um, It looks like it it could very easily, without Steven Adams being 0-4 week, if Adams is at his best before we wrap, Sacramento – We've seen what this team can do. Um, Darren Fox did a, had a great game against the Pelicans last time they played. Uh, Marvin Bagley has been able to score a lot. We've seen the Pelicans against Phoenix. Phoenix all of a sudden is playing much better basketball. The Pacers have had a struggle the last couple of games, but they're still a very good basketball team. And then Memphis, we finally get to see John ja Morant. Well, excuse me. We can see uh, the, the Grizzlies, who have actually been playing better ball, too. So this is by no stretch, even with three of those up, with three of those four at home, those are not three easy home games. No, they're definitely not, David. But there's one thing we were still going to get to first uh, before we get off here, and that was we we're going to give a fourth team. Remember for a possible oh, that's right, that's right, destination. Yes, Who did you have as a fourth? Well, Charlie and I, we were talking before you logged in. We happened to pick the same team, so. We like Dallas Mavericks, and I'll let Charlie explain his portion. But for me, it's simple. The Dallas Mavericks need shooting. They're the worst Mm -hmm. three-point shooting team in the league. Um, They've got a bunch of key guys that aren't even shooting 30% thus far. And it's a big drop-off from where they were last year enjoying the success. And a big part of that is they let Seth Seth Curry leave, and they didn't really replace him with anybody reliable. Mm -hmm. So I think J.J. Redick makes all the sense in the world for a team that's 8-12 and now. And, boy – you mean Luka Dantich and Chris Steps Porzingis? There was a lot of expectations riding. So I think there's a there makes sense for a trade there too because they've got Dwight Powell um, now kind of just you know stuck among the muck behind we Porzingis at center. You know you've got Maxi Kleber now earning a lot more minutes, and they've got Willie Colley Stein too. So even though Powell's coming off a significant injury, and he's got I think that he's in the first of a three year deal. I don't think he's a bad player. I was watching some of his minutes, and I feel like he looks like the same guy we knew pre-injury. And that's what the Pelicans need. They need a tough, physical defender, something that, you know, I know Greb and I, for at least, have been talking about, you know, for the last couple of years, that the Pelicans don't have that guy on the bench. So I think he would make for a great idea. And in order, and if you're taking on, for me, my scenario was, I'm not sure what Charlie's was, but if you're flipping J.J. Redick for Dwight Powell, I think Dallas has to add a sweetener because you're adding those three years of Powell's contract. And so I would ask for Tyrell Terry 
He's a guard out of Stanford, got drafted by Dallas in the first round this year. And, and I love him. I think he could be a potential kind of a six-man type of score slash playmaker for you off the bench down the road. Um, if not him, maybe you could then grab a pick instead. But, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of potential for Dallas needing to make a move and for them wanting J.J. Redick. But do you think that that trade happens within the division? To I'll let Char- Charlie go because just because he, he had yeah, the Charlie, same picks. Because that's, that's the thing that I worry about is that if the focus that we're hearing is that Griff is trying to send him to the Northeast, that A is probably to placate JJ in some way. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that if you've talked to him and you say, Hey, look, we want to move on. We want to do right by you. Where would you like to, where would you like to go? And he I clearly he's saying, I want to go back near home. Um, which like you said, is Brooklyn. Um, and then also trading within the division is always thorny. Um, when you're dealing with maybe draft picks or, um, just potential competition purposes if J.J. Reddick – and, again, it doesn't seem like it's a long, long-term problem because J.J.'s contract expires at the end of the year and the Pelicans aren't really going anywhere, but that sometimes doesn't matter with uh, management. No, I, I'm, I'm basically echoing everything that Ollie just said because I, I, I think that Grubb's points are all salient and, and make perfect sense as to why – this wouldn't happen specifically the fact that it's very, very clear that JJ has indicated to them, Hey, send me to the Northeast. I live in Brooklyn. I want to be close. Um, ultimately, I wonder if the, if nothing does come together, if Boston doesn't want to play ball, um, we already talked about the challenges uh, involved with Brooklyn and Philly. So they, he might just be kind of stuck in, I think Dallas is a potential like fallback option where they come to JJ and say, Hey, listen, nothing's going to happen in the Northeast. We tried, we looked and no one's working with us and we can't get anything done. Dallas, you know, it's, it's, they've got an airport. You can get to the Northeast from there. <laughs> um, uh, you, you can, uh, and you can play with another a superstar young player. I mean, he came to to New Orleans in part to help, you know, play with Zion and have, you know, fun doing that with his Dukies. Maybe he would find it interesting to play with Luca for a season. And, and, and you know, again, just like Ollie mentioned, last year Dallas was, I believe, the best offense uh, mm-hmm. ever. Like, oh, literally ever. And... They the the just losing Seth Curry and changing the shuffling the decks around a little bit from that roster, and they are last in the league in three point percentage and middle of the road offensively. They're just it's it, and you you've seen it from Luca's recent interviews. He looks frustrated. Um, he's mm-hmm. a little upset. I I think there's actually a multitude of avenues they could go as far as dealing JJ to the Mavericks. Um, even from you know you've got James Johnson, Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, mm-hmm. uh, Willie Cauley Stein. All there's a bunch of guys that would fit in with the Pelicans right now and help them. I think James Johnson would be fantastic. James Johnson is my James number Johnson. one because I think that I, I I'm right there with you, Grub. I love James Johnson. I have for years. I think you could play him as a, a multiple role player off the bench the perfect fit um already get a, he gets a block and a steal a game uh the he who shall not be named can't even sniff a point one blocks a game so it's like just it's a guy that could come in and do the work and that 
where Ollie's, I, I like Ollie's idea of getting Powell and trying to get the sweetener involved by taking on more years of the contract. But if you want to just get down to brass tacks, Reddick for Johnson straight up and mm-hmm. you know call it a day. I mean, yep. that, that, then you just got two guys that are both in their thirties and going to teams that they can play more extended minutes on and help. Here's uh, one reason that I think JJ Reddick could be sold on Dallas. He has said what on his podcast this past summer, he wants a chance at a championship. And I think Dallas, you know, once they get healthy, they've got the defenders, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, Joshua Lieber. He, I mean, I think he's only played like nine games or something. So if, if they get going, they still kind of need the shooter, right? They've got Josh Richardson. Just just remembered that. So, yeah, they've got the kind of the decent team around them. And we saw what they did last year. So mm-hmm. imagine if all of a sudden they go on a run, they add Redick, and all of a sudden JJ's like, hey, I think maybe they can win the championship because let's say they make it the second round or maybe even further this year. They surprise. And suddenly that I think that's what JJ's honestly looking for. I think a lot of this talk to the Northeast is that's where he would like to show or be moved to. But let's face it. I think the reason it became public is because those three teams mentioned they're close to home. Guess what? They're not really ponying up anything in wanting Just JJ. More. No. Yeah. Right. Just so, more. So I have a feeling that didn't JJ exactly call it the Knicks, you know. Yeah. So anyways, I think Dallas makes a lot of sense. And I think that whole thing about J.J. going home is being a little bit overblown. Oh, no, I'm just saying, you know, when you have the conversation, that's what you have. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that's how it went. But, yeah, Dallas, I think you also – you put him in the room with Mark Cuban, and Mark Cuban will sell him. You know, yeah. if, you give, if you give him enough time, you go in there and you walk in that locker room, you go in and stuff, and sure, that stuff doesn't – you would think, no, it doesn't sway anything. But when you're a vet – and Mark Cuban also has access to a lot of things because J.J. is a guy who is seriously thinking about his post-NBA career. You can tell this. Yeah. Heck, get Cuban Mark Cuban access. to do his podcast. Call it a day. Yeah. Boom. Mark, you, you got access. Cubes will get you access to money. If we got to see J.J. on Shark Tank pitching something, <laughs> hey. <you know. laughs> J.J. Maybe, can maybe be the next Griffin A-Rod. Maybe Griff needs to go on Shark Tank and pitch this deal in front of Cuban <laughs> and yeah. get this done. Because I, I look James Johnson again last year of his contract I would take mm-hmm. it on you got him at he's you know like I said can play all three front court positions we'll shoot mm-hmm. the three we'll defend and we'll give you that toughness that you're talking about we'll knock Tough. somebody yeah, on the ass yeah Powell or Johnson toughness that's that's my number one thing boom toughness and they will defense. make and that's what we're saying is anything you get back at this point and I think we should close on this is anything the Pelicans get back for whether it's JJ Lonzo. Bledsoe, whomever. To me, it's like if you're not if it's not to make a playoff push, then it's to make the lives of Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson easier. And that means you give me veteran role players who know either who know exactly what they're supposed to do, or you give me young players who who fill holes that I don't have. Because I don't really want a ton more young point guards. I got all the young point guards coming out of my ass that I need. I need small forwards. I need power forwards. I need centers. If you've got those, then I'm David Griffin. I'm interested. Any other thoughts, guys? Get it done, please. (laughs) Get some reinforcements. Yes, that's that's all we're asking. Is you need a bat? You want a basketball team? It isn't a team. It's 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 not a team. It's it's just a a, a, you have some really good players, and but you don't have enough guys. Is any team that wants you to take the starters, and that's going to wear on, on them. Think about it. We're we're not we're just through the first quarter of the season, right? And you got to think that frustration level setting in. 
you can't have your stars checking out. You can't have Stan Van Gundy's first season come down to where there's locker room issues. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have to make sure that this, if you're committed to Stan's culture and you're saying he's one of the great teachers, and this is what we heard from David Griffin this week, that he's going to teach and he's going to do all these things. Well, then you got to support him by giving him the kind of players that are going to understand mm-hmm. what it is he's talking about. Like at the bare mm-hmm. minimum, I understand you and I can commit to doing those things, coach. And I can That's communicate them to the rest of my team. <laughs> yes. That's all you're asking for is competent, professional basketball players. Because this team could win. You will beat the majority of the teams that they face who don't have as good. Most teams they face will not have as good a starting five as they do. The majority of the teams in this league will not have as good a starting as five as the Pelicans do. But every team. Yeah, in the so league that should has. earn you a 500 record and a chance at a playing tournament, which is something that they wanted. Right. So. But they yeah. can't get it because of the bench. They can't get it because their bench is so god awful. That, 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 that's mind boggling to me. Is that a team this talented and it's starting five? Can't probably is sitting 14th in the West because his bench is so bad. Yeah, and that falls on the front office. <laughs> yep. Um, guys, we will have a lot coming up this week. Certainly, if something breaks on this trade, we will react to it. Um, we will be back to pot about it. We will certainly be writing about it. And we will be covering each and every one of these games this week, as we usually do on thebirdrights.com. And we thank you. So please continue to subscribe to the Bird Calls. Please continue to visit the Bird Rights and comment on our posts. Um, Ali, anything else big coming up this week? No, other than I just want to make sure the listeners know that we're also going to do a couple more pods covering trade scenarios for mm-hmm. both Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. And we may do a bonus one on Josh Hart to fish, much to fish's dismay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he might. He's probably not going to like that. Charlie, you got any final thoughts you want to get out? Uh, if we do JJ for James Johnson, that's a double JJ trade. That is. And it also might make Fletcher Mackle's head explode. <laughs> Does he become a full time Mavericks fan if JJ Reddick goes to Dallas? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I love you, Fletch. I love you, dude. Um, so <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Like I said, expect more to come this week, folks. We really appreciate you and your support. But uh, for David Fisher, who had to duck out, and uh, Senor Carlos Gonzalez. And our own Ali Cosell. I am David Grubb, and we. This has been another edition of the Burkhold. Until the next time, in the words of the illustrious Presidellis, let's go, pals. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today we're recording now oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody stop just press the next edit three two one